0: You ready to enjoy the word, part of our worship of our great God this morning? Let's let's take our Bibles then and, and join me, if you would, in the book of Psalms and at Psalm 1, the very first Psalm of the book of Psalms, and you'll find Psalms right in the middle of your Bible, almost at the very center of your Bible, Psalm 1. If you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hands. Charlie would be glad to supply a copy of God's word, and if you don't own a Bible, then By all means, keep this Bible, write your name in it, let it be a gift from our church family to you. And there's a note page, everybody, if you didn't know that, grab that as well. Now last time we stepped into a new series, actually a mini-series compared to what we normally think of when we think about doing a Bible study series here, a little mini-series called Summertime Songs at IBC, Hanging Out in the Psalms. Week after week, just kind of grabbing Psalms, freestanding mornings, uh, because people are in and out and all of that, and so kind of just moving through the Psalms as as the Lord directs us. Sitting at the very physical center of your Bible, the book of Psalms can rightly be called the hymn book of the Old Testament, which then also makes it the church's first song book. Have you ever wondered what that is? Well, the book of Psalms is it, a collection of 150 Songs that God has gifted to us to be sung or to be read at any time, in any setting, and for any situation, any circumstance that the human heart might find itself in. John Calvin, the great theologian of the 1500s, said, No one will find a single emotion within himself that is not reflected in the mirror of the Psalms. Martin Luther, who almost single-handedly took on the corrupt Catholic Church and, and led the Reformation cry of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. He said that Psalms, the book of Psalms, was what he really needed. It was beyond price to him during the fiercest days of that great Reformation battle. That's where he went for his solace and his strength. Another church father said this he said the Psalms are like a hospital for the soul the place where each can go to select the medicine that will meet the need of their heart and many of you have known the Lord for a long time and you've been in the Psalms and you know this to be true for you as well 150 songs for life We led off with Psalm 27 on our first morning and the challenge of being able to wait on the Lord for his perfect timing in in the issues of our life. After that morning service, I was greeting folks out in the foyer as I I usually do. And there was a a guy who came up to me and he said, boy, I sure hope you do my favorite Psalm. And I said, well, what's that? And he said, Psalm 1. And... uh, I didn't make any promises there at the door, but later as I reflected, I said, well, Lord, I mean, I think I know where we're going to go next time, to Psalm 1. It probably cannot display Psalm 23 as the most beloved of all of the Psalms, but it has to rank right up there as one of the best known of the Psalms, memorized by many people. It is a crowd favorite. It's been called the gateway to the book of Psalms, and rightly so. It sits there as Psalm number one, capturing in six verses themes that are really as big as our Bibles are big. It tells of two different kinds of people who make two different kinds of choices and arrive at two very different destinations. And it does it all within the space of six verses. In a most uncomplicated, and I would even say very memorable way, this psalm lays out how a person, any person, can be truly blessed in this life, no matter what life might bring to them, and in the process can be ready for the life that is yet to come. The Holy Spirit, no doubt, wanted this psalm to be our introduction to the entire book of psalms. And here's what the songwriter says. Beginning at verse 1. Follow along. We'll put it up on the screen for us as well. Blessed. Ah, the Hebrew word means genuinely fulfilled and joy filled. Blessed is the man, blessed are the people who walk not in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You know the verse well, the verse is well. Let's see what God has for us. Allow me just to ask the Lord to take us into this space and bless us as we honor him. Let's pray. Well, oh, Father, here we are. Our Bibles are open. And our minds are quickened and ready, and we, uh, we are giving you our attention. We want to hear what you want to say to us from your word. But we don't just want to hear it. We want to be doers of your word as well. So allow the truth of your word to sink into us today and, and uh, take us where you want us to go. There's blessing for us here. This psalm says that. So may it be so as we give you these moments. Holy Spirit. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. How can I have a life marked by genuine fulfillment and a deep and abiding joy no matter what life throws at me? This question, if not asked out loud, is voiced in the secret place of the heart of most people and not just once. Everyone hopes that theirs is going to be a joy-filled, fulfilling, satisfying, blessed life. And some of you would say without hesitation, right this moment, that's me. I have that. I have that right now. I am blessed. But for many, that kind of a life, that blessed life, well, that has proven to be well, elusive, elusive to say the least. Kind of like the proverbial carrot that dangles on the end of a stick out in front of the old horse. The harder the horse strains to get to that carrot, the the more the carrot just seems to stay out of reach. There are many people who feel like that, that life of blessing is just out of reach for them. Is there really such a thing as the joy-filled, truly fulfilled, satisfying Blessed person. Does that person even exist? Well, Psalm 1 would say without reservation, yes, they do exist. Absolutely, that is a possibility. There is such such people. And the best part of this, church family, is that this psalm says that we can be those people. We can be those blessed people. The ancient songwriter opens his song with the word blessed in verse one the hebrew word is eshria, Eshriya, and it means full pleasure and joy in the midst of life's daily routine full pleasure and joy in the midst of life's daily routine just as i'm doing life i can know blessings And what's more, although it really doesn't come out in our English version so much, this word is actually in the plural, in the Hebrew text. And so if we were to write a strict English literal equivalent here, it would sound like this. Oh, the multiplied blessings that belong to the one who. Multiplied blessings. Not a bad way to start a song. It's a great first line for a song but as the lyrics of this song are going to share this fulfillment and joy and blessing depend on a person making some right choices grabbing hold of certain unshakable convictions and refusing to let go of them those are the ones who are blessed this becomes instantly clear then as we step deeper into so- to verse 1 and we watch the writer right out of the blocks, employ a technique that we all use occasionally. Sometimes we determine that to help a person get to where they really want to be, the best way to do that is by telling them where they don't want to be. And so we, we use that te- technique. Someone might come up to you and ask you for directions, and you say, oh, oh, well, well, go down this road a half a mile and, and you're going to come to a fork in the road. Don't take the left fork, we might say to them. Don't go there. That will mess you up. The, the road is in bad shape. The signs are misleading and there's a lot of rough people. Don't go left. Don't do that. But do go to the right because that road's just been repaved. And all the signs are very clear. They're new. And you'll be at your destination before you know it. Don't go left. Do go right. The psalmist employs the very same technique. Only he does it on a road called life. And by the way, we are all on that road. Every single one of us in this moment. We're on that road called life. Don't go that way, the psalmist says. Do go that way. Oh, the multiplied blessings that belong to the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. In short, three don'ts, as you th- see there on your note page. Three negative commands that kind of serve as warnings that are Critical to heed if you want to experience a satisfying, fulfilling, blessed life. Now, you know this, but, but church family, when we encounter negative commands in scripture, I like to think of those as God's guardrails in my life. I'm driving my little sports car on this windy mountain road called Life, My Life, well, it used to be a sports car when I was younger. Now it's a 20-year-old pickup truck, but um, I'm not going to open that up. <laughs> and I'm on this windy mountain road with, with drop-offs, and, and they're just a few feet away, and one careless move, one moment of distraction as I'm driving down this road, one zig to the right when I should have zagged to the left, and the consequences could be catastrophic. But there are these God-placed guardrails on my life road. These protective barriers, these warning commands that God has has put for me into his word so that I can stay on the road and, and keep moving forward and keep moving forward well. I've got these guardrails in the form of God's commands. So much that that, at least as I observe it, that robs people of their joy and replaces blessing with emptiness and dissatisfaction is the result of ignoring God's guardrails and making poor, short-sighted, self-serving choices, foolishly thinking that you can crash through God's guardrails and, and, and somehow not suffer harm or disappointment or pain or emptiness of soul and not, not suffer the loss of blessing that you can blow through God's guardrails and not lose the blessing. There are people who think that. First, blessed, says the psalmist, is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. The counsel of those who don't care about God. The counsel of the world. We could say blessed and satisfied is the man or woman who carefully avoids our culture's advice, the world's advice. Now, would you agree with that? Blessed is the one who doesn't follow the culture's advice. Would you agree with that? Yeah? The first thing the truly blessed don't do, according to verse 1, is listen to our culture's counsel, the world's counsel. The counsel of our culture is a flawed counsel. The blessed don't buy into it, says this songwriter. Someone says, well, what do you mean, Tim, by the the, the culture's council? Oh, that's a great question. Today, our culture's council contains no less than, than three really distinct messages. We know them by the terms of humanism and materialism and moral relativism. And you might say, well, those those terms sound awful academic. I don't use those words. You may not use those words, but you know exactly what these three things are all about. With humanism, for example, the culture says, do your own thing. Do your own thing. Have life your way. You're the boss. You're the ultimate master of your destiny, not God. Has your culture ever Said that to you? They say it to you in a thousand different ways. The culture does that. In fact, within humanism, there is no God except you. You're the playwright. You write the the script. You're the composer. You write the score for how your life is going to play out. You're the king over the domain of your life world you're a life you make it the way you want it to be you're the king the loud and clear message from our culture is you are God make your own happiness that's our culture's counsel it comes at us in a thousand different ways every day materialism we know about materialism don't we? don't we Christians we live in a very materialistic culture The council of our culture says you'll be happier, you'll be more fulfilled the more you have, the more money that you make, the more stuff that you own. Bigger, better, more beautiful, whatever the culture deems valuable, get that and get as much of that as you can and you will be happy. You'll be content. You'll be satisfied. Is that true? Is that true? Man, talk about a lie. The billionaire, J.D. Rockefeller, was once asked by a reporter, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And I keep in mind, he's a billionaire. How much is enough? And his response, he was brutally honest, and he said, just a little bit more than you have. It was Jesus who actually asked the right question in Luke chapter 9. What does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and lose their what? Lose their soul. Luke 9.25. The culture doesn't care about souls, does it? Get all that you can. Get it all now and you will be fulfilled. You'll be happy. You'll be blessed. And then moral relativism. To our culture, the idea that a person's moral or sexual conduct should be defined by God and by God's word, the Bible, man, that is viewed as absurd in our day by our culture. It's viewed as outdated Victorian prudishness. The conviction that one's sexual life should actually be enjoyed within the context of marriage between one man and one woman is deemed by our culture to be narrow and intolerant, even dangerous thinking. If you hold to that, you're thinking dangerously. Live your life without moral boundaries, the, co- the culture says. Do it all. And our culture seems determined. I believe, as never before in American history, to look for any area where biblical sexual purity or moral rightness remains and attack it. Would you agree with that? And it raises the question, who in the world is really intolerant? (laughs) We're accused of being intolerant, but I'm wondering who's really intolerant. Our, Our culture says you will be happiest You will be fulfilled when you are sexually free, morally liberated, unencumbered by outdated, antiquated Christian convictions found in the Bible. But here in Psalm 1, God says, Blessed and fulfilled is the man, the woman, the young person who refuses to follow the culture's counsel." the culture's advice in any of these areas. They refuse to walk in these places, to travel that road. And then he says, blessed is the one who avoids the lifestyle of the culture. The songwriter says, blessed is the person who does not stand in the way of sinners. It's one thing to hear what our culture is saying, It's another thing altogether when one stands with it and identifies with what it is saying. The warning here is to that one who, longing for a fulfilled, contented, purpose-filled life, walks up to his or her culture, listens to what it's saying, and then decides not to walk away, but rather to stand and to identify with its values and its lifestyle, taking to heart the counsel that God's boundaries, God's guardrails should be ignored. Blessed is the person who does not stand in the way of sinners. And then all of this quite expectedly flows into the third thought in verse 1. Blessed are those who don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Your version may say mockers, but the, 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 the idea either way, Scoffers or mockers is, is attitude, the culture's attitude. Sitting speaks of, of having found a place that has become quite comfortable. You'll like it where you are. First there was walking, did you notice? And then stopping and standing. And then the natural next step is to what? Sit down. Sit down. The pursuit of a happy, fulfilled Life as defined by the culture now leads to an open antagonism and an opposition to the things of God, a ridiculing of those who believe in God and believe that there are still things holy and sacred and that lead to blessing. Our culture has become increasingly more a scoffing and mocking culture, especially of Christianity. Would you agree with that? We're not surprised, are we, church? We're not surprised that this is the way it would be. I hope you're not surprised because our Bibles tell us very clearly what to expect if we hold to God's values, if we live within the guardrails that he has defined for our life. Our culture is not going to respond well to that. The Apostle Paul, he wrote a young pastor on one occasion named Timothy, and here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. These are verses probably not new to many of you. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. What is that, church? That's humanism. Lovers of self. Lovers of money. What is that? (laughs) That's materialism. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What is that? Moral Moral relativism. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. God tells us this is the way it's going to be in our time. This is going to be the culture's value system. And done all in the name of personal freedom and a desire to find a fulfilling, blessed life. But it's a pursuit that cannot deliver. Our culture cannot deliver. The counsel, the offerings of our culture can never provide that true blessing and contentment that the soul craves. So if the truly blessed, according to God, don't take the culture's advice, don't embrace the culture's lifestyle, and don't adopt the culture's attitude, what do the truly blessed and fulfilled do to be blessed? What do they do? Verse 2, Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. Church family, let's read that aloud together as a congregational voice of agreement. Let's just read it aloud together. Their delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. The songwriter says in verse 2 the truly blessed do two things. They appreciate the word of God. They delight in it. They appreciate it, and they appropriate the word of God. They meditate upon it. The law of the Lord here is simply the songwriter's term for the Bible that you're holding in your hands right now. It's the Bible. It's the word of God. First, their delight is in the law of the Lord. The blessed appreciate the sufficiency of God's word in their life. They believe that the God who wrote this book, who put his heart on the printed pages of their Bibles, gives them everything that they need for a maximum life of fulfillment, joy, and blessing. They actually believe that. The truly blessed appreciate the sufficiency of Scripture. It gives them what they need to live a great, purpose-driven, joy-filled life. Check out 2 Timothy uh, 3, verses 14 to 17. Again, words you would know well. But as for you, again, Paul's writing a young pastor, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the, sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Holy Spirit, through Paul's pen, says at least five things about the Word of God that we don't want to miss this morning, church family. First, God's Word is holy, isn't it? It's holy. That means that it has been set apart by God. Your Bible is unique. There is no other book that exists in the world like the Bible that you have in your hands right now. It's holy because it's from God who is holy. Second, it is powerful. Oh, is it powerful. Its truth can change your life right now, can't it? But it can do more than that. It can change your eternity. What can you say about any other book? Can any other book do that? No other book can change your eternity. But the Bible does that. Why? Because it introduces us to Jesus Christ, who is able to give us salvation, forgiveness of sin, and a real personal relationship with this holy God through faith in in Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. It is powerful. Third, it's God-breathed. What does that mean? Well, that means that our Bible has an author whose name is God. He breathed out every word of it by His Spirit. Our Bibles are not the opinions of of human beings over time who made observations about how to do life. No, God wrote it. He wrote all of it. Do you believe that today? That's what it means. God breathed. Fourth, it is profitable. Now, but now and forever. It teaches us how to live. It it, it reproofs us. It convicts us of sin. It corrects us when we get off course and it trains us to live within God's guardrails, it is profitable. And fifth, it equips us for every good work. God's word does not represent a list of do's and don'ts that limit us from enjoying all of the best that this world has to offer. In fact, it's just the opposite. It is learning to live with within those guardrails that God has divined for us in his word, that's where we find true happiness. That's where we find real fulfillment, the kind of good works that are worth giving your life to. This book equips us for that. We appreciate the word of God. But the psalmist says more than that. Blessed are those who appreciate the sufficiency of the word, but also who appropriate the truth of God's word into their life. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they what, church family? They meditate day and night. Now, this word meditates, an interesting Hebrew word. It's the same exact word that a farmer would use to describe the action of his cow as it's chewing its cud. It's that word, meditate. Since most of us didn't grow up on a farm, we, 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 we've lost some of the power of this word picture. But, but just think about, you don't even have to be have grown up on a farm to know how it works, right? I mean, think about how a cow digests its food. It takes a mouthful of grass, it chews on it, and it swallows it. And then what does it do? It throws it back up, right? And what does it do? Chews on it again. Chews on it some more. You, you look at any field of cows and what are they all doing? Man, they're all chewing. That's because that's what you do. They're, they're meditating on that grass. That's what they're doing. And, and, and does it stop there? No, it doesn't stop there. They swallow it again and then what? They throw it back up again and they chew on it some more. And they do that until the grass is ready to be digested. That's the picture that we're talking about here. This is what the songwriter says. The truly blessed handle God's word in that way. It's a picture of a man or a woman or a young person reading some part of their Bible and then re-reading it and then re-re-re-reading it again and again, all the while chewing on it, turning it over in their mind, reflecting and pondering and praying over it and contemplating and scrutinizing and interrogating and squeezing the passage to get all the juices out of it, right? Pushing it through a grid of practical questions, teasing out application, talking with other friends about that passage of Scripture, helping them to understand what it is that they're reading, all with this single-minded goal of making that portion of Scripture a part of their life. That's meditating. And this is something that the blessed do habitually, making time to do it, setting apart a portion of the day, in order to be in the Word, appropriating God's truth so that the content on the page becomes the conduct in one's life. Is this how it is for you? Brother, sister in Jesus, is this how it is for you? Do you go to the feeding trough every day, grab a bit of God's Word, and meditate on it? Chew on it. Appropriate its truth into your life so that you can live effectively for God. Take a look at what James says to us. Essentially, I look at this passage and I think, well, this is the New Test- Testament version of Psalm 1, verse 2. Here's what James writes. But be, what church? Doers of the word, right? Right? And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the word of God, the law of liberty and and perseveres, meditates, pushes through, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be what? Blessed. Blessed. The very same thing the writer in Psalms is saying. He'll be blessed in his doing. Yeah. The truly blessed in this life, they appreciate and they appropriate the word of God into their lives. Fellow Christian, when we do that, we become like what a tree planted by a stream of water verse 3 he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither all that he does in all that he does he prospers this is what our lives will be like when we make god's word the focal point of our daily living The truly blessed are those whose lives are governed by the word of God and who have determined not to let the culture's advice or lifestyle or attitude win the day. We're likened to a tree that has roots that reach deep down into the soil and this soil is constantly being wettened with water from a stream. It's a beautiful picture. If you flip your study page over now, we ask this question. Of all of us in the room, are we mighty oaks or are we just wood chips? Now, I can ask that question for all of us who live in the woods. We know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Exactly. Living in the woods like we do. We know where where this goes. Wood chips, really? A mighty oak or wood chips? Which are you? Which am I? Psalm 61, verse 3 at the end of a section talking about the word of God in people's lives, says this, that the people may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I love that that expression. An oak of righteousness, an oak of right living. Does that describe you today? Does that describe me would you would you call yourself an oak of righteousness today? I mean think about this tree for a moment in verse 3. It's planted and it is rooted by the stream. Now that imagery speaks of stability to me. The the, the person in the word is a stable person. Not easily shaken because because they're drawing their strength from the stream. And the, the the soil that the stream is being wettened by, and, and it's a picture of the Word of God bringing the nourishment to that tree. They've wrapped their spiritual roots around the Word of God, and they can't be moved. They're they're stable. After Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount in in Matthew chapter seven, he ends that sermon with a little story, which I know you know. It's about two houses. One built on sand and one built on rock. Check out what Jesus says. Every then, everyone then who hears these words of mine, God talking, my words, God's words, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Stability. And there's fruitfulness also with this tree in verse 3. The life of that person who is in the Word of God will over time reflect more and more of the character of Jesus. And the Bible calls that character of Jesus the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, 23. The fruit of the Spirit begins to show up in your life the more time you spend in the book. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things show up when you're Drawing your strength from the Word of God, the stream, the river. That's what Jesus would expect if we're doing that. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do almost nothing. Is that what it says? No. It says, you can't do anything apart from me. Absolutely zero, nothing. And then notice that a spiritually fruitful person for Jesus' sake is a joy-filled person because just after he says this, just a few verses later in 1511 of John, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full, complete. We're calling that blessing, aren't we? The blessing comes when we're in Jesus. Stability, fruitfulness, notice as well, durability. The person who makes their passion and focus a life in, under, before God's word is like a tree that has leaves that never dry up, become brutal and withered and fall off. Man, the tree is durable. Evergreen. Because the ever-present Word of God is supplying what's needed. Christian never is in a position of saying, man, I'm all used up. (laughs) I'm bone dry. The hot winds have blown too hard for too long. There's no more fruit to be found on this tree. We never say that. The psalmist says, the lover of God's Word bears the mark. Of durability. Ever green. Oaks of righteousness. Look what Jeremiah. Says to us. Jeremiah 17. Verses 5 through 8. I, this is a great, great passage. Thus says the Lord. Cursed is the man. Who trusts in man. And makes flesh his strength. Cursed is the one who. Follows the culture. And it's advice. Whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert. He's like wood chips. And he shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Verse 7. What's the first word? Blessed. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Beautiful. Stable. Fruitful. Durable. Blessed. Truly happy, joy-filled, fulfilled. Verse 4, the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Rather than the image of a mighty oak, the songwriter says, without the God of the word and the word of God in your life, you're just like wood chips, chaff the stubble, the worthless leftovers after the grain has been removed from the stock, good for nothing. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will, what's the word? Perish. Perish. The psalm ends with two destinies being pointed to. There is the righteous plantings of the Lord, the the oaks that make up the congregation that are with God. It's a picture of heaven. The Lord knows them. And then there's the, the wicked who have ignored God all of their lives, followed the culture's advice, bought into the world's lies, and they step into eternity there to meet God face to face. Two destinies. One of Satan's biggest lies has got to be the one where he says that a person can live without God, without a Savior in the person of Jesus Christ, can, can go it alone, materially driven, morally reckless, consumed with self, live like there is no God, and expect to find real, lasting joy, contentment, purpose, and blessing. That is a lie, isn't it? There's no way God didn't make his world like that. God's word says that Satan's lie, promoted and repeated by our culture every single day we hear it, it leads to nothing but emptiness and frustration and disappointment that will ultimately be followed by a day of judgment. Standing before this holy God, silent and guilty, those who have listened to the lie of the world, the lie of their culture, are condemned to an eternity where where they get exactly what they've wanted their whole life. Life without God. We call that place where that happens hell, don't we? They perish. No hope, no blessing. The truly blessed are those who determine that they will live within God's guardrails. There are three things they're not going to do they're not going to buy into the advice, the lifestyle, or the attitude of their culture. What the blessed will do, they'll embrace all that God's Word says and take from it its life-giving truth, just like a tree takes from the stream. It all begins with believing what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, believing who He is, God in human flesh, believing what He's done, died on the cross to pay a sin debt we could never pay, and then rises from the dead to prove that he has the power and the right to be our savior. The Bible tells us about him. The road to a blessed life starts with the word of God that introduces us to the son of God. And then with the word of God showing the way, appreciating it and appropriating it, we learn how to live not for ourselves, but for the one who loved us enough to die for us. Amen. And waiting for us there is the joy, the contentment, the purpose, the peace, and the blessing. No matter what this life brings. He, she, is like a tree planted by streams of water. That yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. Amen. Amen and amen let's pray together oh lord may it be so for us in this room today that we would be doers of your word and hear and not just hearers only that we would forsake the lies of our culture and we are bombarded every day with its lies oh help us heavenly father dull our ears to that noise and open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word We want to be those mighty oaks rooted and planted by you, by the stream of water that that never runs dry. Your word, your holy word. And we want to be fruitful, bearing fruit in every climate, every season, the good times and the hard times, bearing fruit and bringing glory to you. Lord, if there's anyone in this room this morning who has yet to know how to have life in you through faith in Jesus and to, to, to live in the richness and the blessing of your word, may you move in their heart today. Let us be a part of that. Let us be part of how you would reach out to them and love on them and introduce them to a Savior who is Jesus. We thank you for your book. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us as a gift this morning. Thank you for Psalm 1. All glory be to you in Jesus' name. Amen.